Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Columbia Morning with David Lyle on News Talk 1400 KFRU. We're in the midst of the football season for the University of Missouri. Of course, they're coming off of the loss against Kentucky and now in the SEC. And a lot of people around here still like to remember the good old Big 12 days. Let's go back to the Big 8 days. Not any further back than that, I don't believe, although maybe it'll come up in the conversation. Perhaps you saw earlier in the month a uh, column that was written in the sports section of the Sunday Columbia Daily Tribune. It was on September 6th. It was written by Brendan Steenbergen, and he is with us in the studio because he's been working on a book that is titled Undefeated, talking about the Missouri football team of 1960. It's nice to meet you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Are you an MU person? I mean, always been an MU person. Yeah, I am an MU guy. I'm a I'm 38, and so I grew up in uh, in the 80s in the dark days of Missouri <laughs> football. And uh, that that's the kind of inspiration for me to write the book was that uh, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about the history of the program and the kind of the great legacy of Mizzou football. And then when we got good again and I went to school here at the University of Missouri, I became more and more of a football fan and came to learn about how long and prestigious of a program we actually did have. When you started working on a book about the 1960 football season, how much did you find was already written about this? There was a great deal written about um, the 60s in general. Um, Of course, it was a great era for the Tigers and Dan Devine uh, led the Tigers to sort of unprecedented heights. Bob Bragg from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch had done a great deal to write about it. Dan Devine had an autobiography. He mentioned it briefly. Mm-hmm. There was nothing um, comprehensive about that one season that I found, however, that uh, other than some articles and, you know, there would be the occasional player passing and there would be mentioned, but, uh, but nothing that really focused on that 1960 season. Your book is entitled Undefeated Asterisk. Right. <laughs> As many people would know, because there is... It wasn't truly an undefeated season. I mean, there was a loss in that in that season. It's really what makes the season inter- interesting is that uh, it is an 11-0 season if you live in Columbia, Missouri. <laughs> it's a 10-1 season if you live in Lawrence, Kansas. How did you find, though, those who were involved in that season, be they mostly players, I guess, surviving now, but any conversation from family members or coaches or anybody like that, I would think that once, depending on why something was found to be disputed, would determine whether you truly feel like, hey, we were undefeated that year, or whether you want to claim, well, you know what, they might have used a, an eligible player, but still we lost that ballgame. Yeah, it's very interesting because if you talk to the players themselves, they have a very different outlook on the season than, than people from the media or fans do. A lot of those guys, they hadn't, didn't have a very historical perspective about w- what they were involved in. Of course, at the time, how could they? But, um, but the media, they were very focused on the controversies surrounding Kansas. And those, the f- players, a lot of them, to a man, will talk about how they felt like they got beat on the field. But then they'll also say, if you keep talking to them, that you know, they, with time passing and as they sort of get, gain more perspective of their place in history – you know, there were rules, and Kansas broke those rules. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and 
Missouri had every right to uh, to lay claim to that. Yeah, I mean, that's right. The rules would say, hey, you forfeit a game if you use an ineligible player. So, But, you know, it's tough. If it had been like a seven, the difference between seven and three and eight and two, right. it would be one thing. But this was the difference between a regular season of nine and one and 10 and 0. It was, that is exactly right. And the other factor in this season was that there were no pure undefeated teams in 1960. It wasn't like there was a single team that uh, could leapfrog Missouri and say that we are the true um, undisputed champion. There were several teams that had one loss. There was one team, Ole Miss, who had a, had a tie, but they kind of had a weaker record, uh, so they were, weren't considered as much for a national championship. So as much as there has been controversy during the BCS era, there was never so much controversy for the championship as there was in this mm. era. Brendan Steinbergen is our guest. Uh, we're talking about his research and work done on a book, uh, Undefeated. Do you have a time frame for this book's release? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to get it published as soon as possible. Yeah. I'm I'm working with an editor now to get it uh, to a presentable Final format form. that yeah, to, to uh, submit it to a few publishers we're looking at. Um, you know, obviously, I think the beginning of a football season would be an ideal time for a for marketing standpoint. Uh, we're kind of past that now here. But uh, as soon as I can get it through the hands of a publisher, I'd be happy to do that. So in 1960, how many bowl games were there? Gosh, I there were very few. I'm thinking uh, maybe five or six. Uh-huh. The, you know, the, the the big orange bowl was the was – the, um, was the bowl game, of course, that Missouri and the Big Eight champions were always looking for, and there was the Rose Bowl, of course, um, you know, and there, I think there was the Gator Bowl and, and the, the Tangerine Bowl, bowl they, maybe. But but yeah. but to go to a bowl game was a major accomplishment uh-huh. in those games, and uh, very few teams got to do it. I want to uh, take a break. We'll come back after these announcements. I'll pursue further with him some of the research that he did and who he talked to, some fascinating characters, and he talks about the games also, the importance of each of the individual games. We'll be back with that. Brendan Steenbergen is our guest. We're talking about the 1960 Missouri football season that on this side of the uh, division between Missouri and Kansas would have been an undefeated season. This is KFRU. Newstalk 1400, KFRU. Glad you're listening to us on this Columbia morning. It's a... um, Monday morning after a weekend of football. A lot of people disappointed with the Missouri result against Kentucky on the road in their first SEC game of this season. Tigers will be home this weekend. Of course, the Tigers back in 1960 dominated the, uh, as it's put out in this book, undefeated by Brendan Steenbergen. It was what, Oklahoma and the Seven Dwarves or something like that? Is that what it was known as? That's right. Oklahoma was the dominant force with Bo Wilkinson as their coach. Um... So who did you talk to? Who, who did you have as a must must track down information about in putting this book together? Well, as I mentioned, I talked to several of the Missouri football players themselves. But as a must track down, there was definitely one name on that list. That was Burt Cohn. Uh, Burt Cohn was the player at the epicenter of the Missouri-Kansas um, debate in 1960 that led to the the forfeit of the game, led to the the you know 60 plus year controversy. And uh, even led to a, ultimately a fist fight on on Brewer Fieldhouse later that. Yeah, I've heard I've heard from a lot of people about a basketball fight <laughs> that was. Uh, so give us more about Burt Cohn. What's uh, what's Burt Cohn like? What was? Uh, how did you find that part of your research? What did you like about that? Burt Cohn was a colorful guy. He's from around Houston, Texas, and he was a standout high school athlete in both track and football in Texas. And he turned a lot of um, eyes towards him whenever he was heading towards college. And uh, one of those people who was looking at Burt Cohn was a Kansas alum who was um, – he, w- he was actually the owner of the – would be the Houston um, Oilers. 
in the AFL, and he was trying to recruit Burt Cohn to Kansas. And, uh, of course, there were rules about recruiting by uh, alumni rather than the coaching staff. And uh, Burt Cohn ultimately um, went to TCU rather than Kansas. The, the recruitment process continued even when Burt Cohn was at TCU. Burt, Burt was very open about this. Yeah. Burt basically admitted to the fact that he had uh, he'd been illegally recruited and that um, wa- enough water into the bridge had passed that it didn't much matter to him. But he, but he was very can understand that. Yeah. Um, money passed? I mean, was that the, the biggest enticement? To, I mean, it was almost like bribe. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, somebody to come play. It wasn't money, no. And it wasn't cars or anything like that. Some of the things you hear about uh, today, it was um, <laughs> maybe more mundane. But, but what it was is there was, in, in those days, there was a college all-star game. They called it in Chicago, Illinois, where the um, All-Americans would play the Super Bowl champion from the NFL. <laughs> and... Um, Bert, Bert Cohn was invited to go on a plane, uh, a private jet, and uh, watch the game with this Kansas alum. And uh, anyway, he didn't pay for anything. He he was basically there were Kansas folks on there basically telling him about the glory of Kansas. Kansas won a national championship in track and field that year, and um, and so he was interested in his track career as well. And so he was recruited illegally off campus, which was a clear violation of the rules for a player who is already on another college's uh, sure. team. I mean, we think of how strict the rules are in the NCAA now, but how about that? I mean, if something like that happened now, uh, that would that would just be a blockbuster story. I mean, I, I don't know whether those things comparably comparable to that would happen now. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's such a different era. Yeah. That was really the beginning of the NCAA coming into life as an as a actual regulatory body. Up until that point, the individual conferences really had more control mm. over uh, the regulation of teams' uh, behaviors than the NCAA, but the NCAA did pursue this. And part of the reason they did was that Kansas had, had been involved in several other areas that were questionable, um, most notably the recruitment of Wilt Chamberlain to the basketball team. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain was known to drive several very nice uh, convertibles around the Kansas campus, uh, not not from a wealthy family in Philadelphia, and there were a lot of eyebrows raised about that. And so a lot of people thought that Burt Cohn's slap on the wrist was a, was sort of a um, aftermath of not being able to tag anything to Kansas and Wilt. Brendan Steenbergen is our guest, undefeated, as a book he's written about the uh, 1960 Missouri football season. All right, you look at 
Did you look at all the games of that season? I did. Or just conference games. All of the games. You know, you've got all the games on here, don't you? Because uh, these are non-conference games also. Did one stick out in your mind as kind of one of the uh, most fun games to delve into in depth? Well, um, from the non-conference schedule, I think one of the most important games was definitely when Missouri went to Penn State. Mm-hmm. I think they were maybe the second game ever at the at Beaver Field in, in uh, Pennsylvania there. And they won 21-8, to and Missouri was not – well thought of they entered the season uh, unranked but uh, Dan LaRose um, he had, he was an end for the Tigers he had a magnificent game and he got the attention of the Eastern press a lot of uh, the entire East Coast media were in Pittsburgh they were near Pittsburgh because the World Series was in Pittsburgh against the Yankees that year and so um, they were several of them drove to Penn State to watch the football game were wildly impressed with uh, Dan LaRose and the Tigers, and it put Missouri on the map, and they jumped, I think, nine spots in the, in the polls after winning that game. And then, of course, the, the epic game of that season was going against Oklahoma. Like, as you mentioned, Oklahoma and the Seven Dwarves. Missouri just never beat Oklahoma. At Oklahoma. At Oklahoma. So what stands out about that ball game? Well, um, Missouri hadn't beaten Oklahoma um, at Oklahoma since World War II. Um, Bud Wilkinson had set records across um, college football. They had a, a, a consecutive game-winning streak that still hasn't been surpassed. Uh, I don't think any team had beaten Oklahoma at home in 13 years from the Big Eight. It, they were just unprecedented dominance. And uh, the other thing that stood out was that Missouri was really embarrassed two years prior. The, at Oklahoma, they got blown out. Hmm. Uh, several of the players who were on that 1960 team were sophomores um, whenever they got blown out at Oklahoma. And Dan Devine stood on a table and made a promise that they were going to win in Oklahoma in two years and dedicate it to their seniors. And that really seemed like a, a kind of a crazy promise to make because nobody beat Oklahoma. <laughs> How conflicted were the players about their coach, Dan Devine? Well, you know, I think it's just probably like today there were a lot of people who had different opinions depending on their relationships. Dan Devine is uh, is obviously a hero in Columbia, and a lot of the players view him as such. Um, there were other players who had trouble with him. He didn't like their coach, his coaching style, thought he was aloof. Um, some, several guys mentioned how he would stand on a white platform above everybody else and shout down from a bullhorn And you know, while his assistant coaches were in the mix and sort of being more personable. Norm Beal was one of those guys. He mentioned you know that they just didn't mesh. But a guy like Bill McCartney, uh, who went on to coach uh, mm-hmm. a national championship team himself, he, he, I mean, he sounded like Saint Divine whenever you talked to Bill McCartney. He was worshipful of him. So. I, you know, I guess that would be the situation with all coaches, though. You're going to have some like, some dislike. And I, don't, I thought it was kind of standard for coaches to be up on a platform looking over, kind of like lording it over their, their kingdom down below them during practices and things like well, that. Well, you know, it wasn't unheard of at all, but a lot of these guys on these teams were local boys. They were you know, Missouri Hicks, as some of them would refer to themselves. <laughs> they were from small town. Don Farrow, who was the athletic director and, and had been the coach up until recently, he was very high on recruiting players who were from Missouri. And so some of those guys probably just weren't accustomed to it as much as it being an unfamiliar way to coach. When I was, I mean, this you're talking about a time period and when I was like five years old here, but uh, as I was, that's a little young for me to be paying much attention to what was happening in football. But mm-hmm. shortly after that, within three or four years after that, I really became 
interested and every saturday and it was saturday afternoon games they didn't have nighttime games they didn't start at 11 o'clock for television around 1 or 1 30 the games would start mm-hmm. i mean that was that was sacred college football time and so i look back at the mid to late 60s into the early 70s as a time that was very big for my interest in football you as a younger guy than that as you said earlier you're 38 years old so you came along a, a generation or so after that Looking back at 1960, do you have a sense that things are much different or that it was a golden era of really fun type of college football before it was spoiled by 24-hour sports stations? What's your overall thought about this? Well, my my thought on 1960 in particular and that era and what drew me to it as far as to write a book was I believe that was sort of the entrance into the modern era of college football. Both we talked about – Bert Cohn and his his kind of ineligible recruiting <laughs> yeah. activities. That's the kind of thing we hear about all the time today. Uh, television really was beginning becoming a factor as far as the popularity increase of football overall. Um, you know, some of the programs that are popular today were gaining a full. Nebraska up until this point hadn't really been a powerhouse, and they, uh, hmm. you know, in the late sixties and and on became the the powerhouse that they are to hadn't become today. You know, and the other thing about it that was interesting to me was it was the, in the midst of the civil rights era, and uh, this 1960 team was the first Missouri team to ever have black players. Uh, they had Norm, uh, I'm sorry, Norris North Stevenson, Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Mel West, and uh, those were the first black players that Missouri had ever put on a field. Did you find in your conversation with players their their honest feelings about how that was accepted, how they felt about that? I ask all the guys about it, and of course, you know, you you expect people. If anybody did anything or said anything that was would be considered uh, racist or racially charged, it would be hard to pull that out of somebody. You would think, but uh, even conversations of outside of the team, there was a lot of. of, of loyalty amongst the teammates themselves mm-hmm. they were a real brotherhood however they faced a lot of racial challenges when they hit the road and they uh, they'd go to hotels and the hotels wouldn't allow the black players to stay there or they go to a restaurant and they'd say they couldn't serve the black um, players and the team would universally uh, they'd leave they'd leave the restaurant they'd go find another hotel um, and so so it was a cohesive bond amongst the teammates but it was a really interesting time who was the strongest person who advocated for mel west or norris stevenson to be a part of that was it the administration was it don ferro dan devine who who said you know what this is the right thing to do we're going to do this so dan devine um came from arizona state where he had um, coached black players for a long time you know we there were teams in the south that would go years before they would ever get a black player much less a black student and so dan devine was very comfortable um maybe more comfortable than some of the other people in the little Dixie area of Columbia yeah. at that time um, with black players. Um, not a lot is told about Don Ferro and his feelings for racial um, issues. He certainly didn't stand in the way. Uh, the Mel West and Norris Stevenson were actually recruited by Frank Broyles, uh-huh. who was a coach for one season before moving on to Arkansas. So um, I think Dan Devine played a big part in it. Um, I think as from the player's standpoint, a guy like Jim Miles, who didn't see the field as much as some of the others, but became very close friends with Mel West. Um, Norris Stevenson mentioned him specifically before his death that Jim Miles really looked out for those guys and would make sure that uh, they were treated just as fairly as every mm-hmm. white player. Well, we'll watch for the release of this. I hope things go smoothly so that it's, uh, that it's printed and people can buy this. They're going to love the trip back into history about the 1960 Missouri football team because what a, uh, you know, to me that's just like the classic time. I mean, the, the names that you mention, coaches and well as some of the players just are, are – 
etched into the granite of the history of Missouri football. So it's a good good job. Thank, Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Brendan Steenbergen, our guest. Watch for Undefeated with a little asterisk after Undefeated. And the uh, subtitle will be what? The Blood, Lies, and Pride on the Road to Champions? Is that That's right? right. So far. All right. It's News Talk 1400 KFRU.